Amen. To think of all he did, the only thing he came to do was to pay for your sin and mine. What a wonderful Savior. Mark chapter 6, I want you to look at verse number 5. Pay particular attention to the wording so you'll understand the title of the message this morning. Verse 5 and verse 6. And he could there do no mighty work. Notice the wording. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. I'm going to preach this morning on this subject. I do not want Jesus to fail. Now you may say, well, Jesus can't fail. I understand that. But I also understand in verse number 5, he could not do what he intended to do. He couldn't. Because God has determined that the way he will work in and through man is by their faith. I don't want Jesus to fail. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless in the preaching of your word. I pray, Lord, that we would listen, Lord, with a heart to learn and understand, and Lord, not just to understand, but to obey. And may this story, may this passage and truth, Lord, intrigue our thinking, and not only our thinking, but our behavior. Help us, Lord, to be people of faith in you. Circumstances of life, Lord, often distract us from having faith in your word. And my purpose today is to challenge us to keep trusting in what you've said in your word. Thank you for the privilege and opportunity to be in this place at this hour. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now this is a most interesting passage of scripture to me and for several reasons. First of all, just the text of what it says plainly is interesting because it says that he could do no mighty work there. He intended to because that's what he had been doing. It's also interesting and intriguing to me because of the context in, in which this passage is given. Not just in this book, but the context and the time of his life. When you look at the order of events in the life of Christ, the towns that he went to, it's well documented in the Gospels from the time of his birth. And then there's a space of time that we don't hear uh, anything about Christ. And then uh, we hear uh, when he begins his earthly ministry. And that three and a half years of time is well documented in the Scripture. Uh, the Lord Jesus, as uh, this scripture says, is coming to his childhood home after a most successful year of ministry. And it's been about a year since the last uh, a major event, and I'll mention that in a few minutes. But it says in verse 1, And he went out from thence and came into his own country. So Jesus is coming back to his childhood home. In the last year, the Lord Jesus has healed the sick. Uh, he has caused the blinded eyes to see. He has given eternal life to a multitude of people. 
Now, in studying the life of Christ, you find that the Lord Jesus made Capernaum somewhat of a headquarters that he worked out of, worked out of Capernaum. But on this occasion, he does not go back to Capernaum. On this occasion, he comes back to Nazareth, to his hometown. It's very important to note that he was there about a year before. It had been about a year since Jesus had been actually into his hometown of Nazareth. And his previous visit a year ago is recorded in Luke chapter 4. It's one of the, it, it, it's, it's the well-known events, and sometimes we read just the text of that event. If you recall, uh, when he went into the synagogue, he stood up to read, and the passage that he chose to read, as recorded in Luke chapter 4, is from a passage of Scripture in Isaiah, where Isaiah the prophet prophesied that Jesus would come and what his purpose was. So a year ago, he had been in Nazareth. A year ago, he had read from the prophets and he read uh, these words. The Bible says, And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And I'm glad Jesus is still in that business today. If your heart's broken, only Jesus can mend a broken heart. And I'm thankful, and I'll tell you, it's hard to get past these statements without stopping and commenting on these and thanking God for them. When you think of his ministry, also to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now typically that's where we stop off reading in that passage and it's a wonderful passage of scripture. But when he read that, they were so angry. And you'll read this in Luke chapter 4 that they not only ran him out of the temple, the Bible said they thrust him out or they threw him out of the temple and they ran him out of his own town. And that's significant. And I always enjoy looking at not just the text and face value, uh, but what the setting is or the context around it. And, and, and I realize where he has just come from in Mark chapter 5 and Mark chapter 5 is a chapter of, of, of busy work and activity that Jesus had been doing and the Bible uh, uh, summarizes what he did. He went everywhere doing good. Everywhere doing good. If you had a need, you come to Jesus. He could meet the need. If 5,000 showed up and they were hungry, he could feed them whether he had nothing or just a boy's uh, lunch, five loaves and two fishes. And that's what Jesus had been doing. And that, that's the immediate context. But when you go further, you realize that Christ had been there just a year ago. And when he came a year ago, they threw him out of the temple, out of the synagogue, and then they threw him out of the town. So now Jesus has been working a year with his disciples, and he is returning to Nazareth again. And when he comes to Nazareth, it's interesting when he does the same thing. On the Sabbath day, he goes to the Sabbath, or he goes to the synagogue as he always, uh, always did. And this time, he began to teach again. And the people, for a while, they're amazed at him. They're amazed at two things. When they heard him, they thought, this wisdom. It's different than the priests we listen to uh, on a regular basis. Uh, this wisdom, that just, 
It's just astounding. They, they, they were just amazed. They marveled at the wisdom of the Lord Jesus. They had also heard the testimonies of what had happened. You would have too. If you'd been in the towns nearby and you saw a fellow that you knew was blind from birth and now he's not blind and he can see and he's working a job and a fellow that was once a, a, a leper and cast out of town, he's back in town now because he met Jesus and he's been made whole. And uh, if you met the uh, mother of the boy uh, that died in the city of Nain and you realize that boy's living with his mama again. Uh, when I was a young preacher and I started preaching funerals, I thought I need to find a funeral message. And you know, Jesus never preached a funeral message. Made it hard on a young preacher because Jesus always raised the dead. So word had gotten what Jesus had been doing and they marveled at two things. They marveled at his wisdom and they marveled at the work of his hands, the miracles that he had done. They'd heard the story of how the disciples were out on the boat and, uh, and, and there was a storm and they were afraid and here comes Jesus walking on the water. There were too many to deny I mean, there were too many miracles. They couldn't be made up. There was too much evidence. Uh, Bartimaeus could see, and, and uh, it, it was just amazing what had happened, and they marveled. They marveled at what they knew Jesus had done. But then in that marveling about his wisdom and about the miracles, they began to make reasons so as not to believe. It's, it's like they didn't want to believe. They said, is this not this the carpenter? I mean, a carpenter couldn't do this. Is not this, and they go from admiring and marveling at his wisdom and his miracles to the place. They said, Is this not, I mean, we know his sisters, we know his brothers, and they don't do any of that. It certainly, it couldn't be Jesus. I mean, and they, they destroyed their faith in him. And the Bible says, as a result, and I want you to look at it again, and he could do there no mighty work. He could do there no mighty work other than or save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them and he marveled because of their, here's the key to it all, he marveled because of their unbelief. You know what they did? They made a decision in the face of evidence to not believe. They made a decision in the face of what they heard with their own ears, what they saw with their own eyes, the miracles and the, and, and, and the result of the miracles that he had performed. And they made the decision that they wouldn't believe. And the Bible said as a result, he could do no mighty work there. Now I want you to imagine, just think with me. What did Jesus want to do in his own town? Well, certainly wanted to do in his own town what he'd done in other towns. Maybe even more. Isn't there something special about your hometown? About the town where you grew up, and you know, you, uh, you get married, and, and, uh, and, you, and life goes along in a few years, and then after a few years, you go back to your hometown, you tell your children where you uh, worked and where you slaved and how hard it was when you were a child. And you can smell grandma's biscuits and gravy and bacon and not like it used to be. Can you imagine what Jesus wanted to do in his hometown? Certainly didn't desire to do any less. He desired to do in, the, in his town the same that he had done in other towns. We know what God the Father did in the Old Testament. We know, we, we, we know the miracles. The most oft-repeated miracles of the Old Testament were the parting of the Red Sea and they walked across on dry land. Uh, the giving of manna from heaven to give them food every day. 
uh, to give them water from the rock of Horeb. Those are the most repeated uh, miracles of the Old Testament, though there are many. You come to the New Testament, we know what Jesus did uh, in the New Testament. Uh, we, we, we know uh, that uh, uh, he raised the dead. I mean, Jesus, you, you remember the story of the ten lepers? They were, they were all healed. One was made whole because he came back and said thank you to the Lord Jesus. There's a difference in that. But they were all healed that day. And in the face of all of this, yet they decided not to believe. And as a result, even though they're amazed at his wisdom and power, they decide, I am not going to believe in him. They caused Jesus to do less than what he planned to do. Are you with me this morning? You understand what I'm saying? If, if, if then they limited Christ and kept him from doing what he had planned to do, could our unbelief keep him from doing what he wants to do in our life? Could our, could our unbelief keep him from doing what he would want to do in our church? What he would want to do in our state, what God wants to do in our nation. I don't want Jesus to fail here. I don't want it to be said in years to come, this is what God planned to do in your town. This is what God planned to do in your life. This is what God had planned to do in your church. But he couldn't because... Of your unbelief. You know what I want? I want God to have his will and way in this church. Now I want to be a conduit of faith. I want to believe this book at face value. I, I, I don't want to hear, oh, but he's just a carpenter. Oh, but he, he grew up poor in, 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 in Nazareth. And there's no way that could be true. I believe with all of my heart that book right there is true. And God has preserved that book for me in my day, in my generation. And I don't want it to be said. He wanted to do a mighty work there, but he could not because of your unbelief. I want to say this morning, folks, we must make the decision to have faith in God. To have faith in God. And I'm not just talking about in our minds. I'm talking about a faith that obeys God. I'm talking about a faith that desires to please God. I'm talking about a faith that yields all that we have to God and His will and to say, Lord, I want your will to be done in my life. When I was a boy and, 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 and a teenager, and of course I love my parents very much and my mom and dad, my dad's been in heaven a long time. He died at the age of 40, and that was in 1985, a lot of years ago. My dad was my hero. I just, um, you know, I, I planned to work for him if the Lord would let me do that, and, and uh, I, I loved him. I shined my dad's shoes. I, I loved to hear him preach. There wasn't a better preacher in all the world. And, you know, I made a decision because I had seen other parents hurt by their children. I decided I'm going to make my parents the best parents in all the world. I don't, I don't want anybody to say anything negative about my parents because of my behavior. Now, I wasn't a perfect child. I understand I'm not saying that. But I desired, I, I wanted, now, I grew up in the day of the old country store. Boy, I like it too. 
I mean, they weren't Walmarts. I mean, just country store. And they was ever a mile or two apart. It was good in those days. And I, I remember going into those stores. And my dad carried a shirt pocket-sized New Testament. And he always kept a dollar bill in there. And a dollar bill, you could buy a Pepsi and Peanuts or an RC and Moon Pie, something like that. And I've seen my dad take that one dollar. That was his last dollar. He, he said, I keep it there because I don't ever want to be completely broke. And uh, so he had that dollar in there. And we'd go into the store, and they'd say something about me. And I wanted my dad to be proud of me. I, I, didn't, I didn't ever want my parents to be embarrassed or hurt by my behavior. I, I never wanted to be disrespectful in any way. I wanted not only them to be proud, I wanted other people to know those are my parents, and I'm proud of them. Those are the best parents anybody could ever have. You say, were they perfect? As far as I was concerned, they were. As I read the Word of God, it bothers me when God is grieved at the behavior of His children. It, it, it bothers me that God Himself is grieved because His children are disobedient and are disrespectful. I don't want God to do less than God wants to do because I am in His way. And I'm not just telling you for testimony. I'm preaching to us this morning. Let's not get in the way of the will of God. Let's be a part of the will of God. Let me, let me read some verses to you. You say, you really think we can grieve God or we can, we can shame God? The Bible says in Genesis 6, 5 and 6, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. I don't want to grieve my heavenly father. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Take your Bibles and go to Psalm number 78. I'd like to read a lot more verses than I have time to read, but I want us to get to the heart of this chapter and what he is saying here. I'm saying as a, as, as, as a boy, as a teenager, I, I didn't want to hurt my parents. I didn't want them to cry at night because I was out in the sin. I, I had uh, seen my grandmother. I had heard her pray through the night. I had heard her cry. I had seen her uh, kneeling at a chair in the living room and all hours of the night praying uh, that her children uh, that were not right with God, that God would protect them and bring them back to his will. And I said, I, I don't want my parents to lose sleep. And I want to tell you this morning, I don't want my God in heaven to be grieved because I have a lack of faith in him or I live a life that's a, a, a displeasing to him. I want to please the God that saved me. I want to please that God that forgave me of my sin. I want to please the God that made me a mansion and a home in heaven. Amen. Psalm number 78. Let's go down to verse number 38. Psalm 78, verse number 38. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, and I have these words underlined many a time. 
turned his anger away. I'm thankful for the patience of God, the forgiveness of God, the graciousness of God, and did not stir up all his anger. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. Look at verse 40. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert. They grieved God. I don't want God to be grieved by Clay's Mill Baptist Church. I want God to look down from heaven as he did in the days of Noah where the Bible says, and Noah found grace in the eyes of God. I desire for our church to be pleasing to him and to be yielded to him. We're not here for entertainment. We're not here to impress one another as to who we are or what we've accomplished or what we have. We're here today to bring honor and glory to the wonderful God and Savior that gave us eternal life. We don't want to limit the Holy One of Israel. Notice what he says here in verse number uh, 40. The Bible said they grieved him in the wilderness, uh, in the desert. Verse 41, yea, they turned back and tempted God. Now notice this statement. And limited the Holy One of Israel. What does that mean? That meant God wanted them to win that battle. But Ephraim turned back. The leader of that, uh, uh, of that battle, they turned back in the day of battle. Do you see that? They limited God. I'm preaching to us today to say God wants to do great things in your life personally. God wants to do great things in your family. God wants to do great things in your marriage. God wants to do great things in your life. He wants to do great things in our church. Let's not be listed among those that said, well, God wanted to, but they limited him because of their unbelief. Well, Jesus desired to do a great work there, but he could not because of their unbelief. I don't want him to be limited. I want him to do exactly as he desires it to do. The Lord Jesus would perform the miracles so that they would believe in him for salvation. And God has worked in our life already and he has performed the miracle of salvation and many other things in our life. We owe it to God to give our lives to him. I believe God wants a people that believe in him for great things. I'll be honest with you. I, I want our church to be an encouragement to other churches. I want our church to be an encouragement to young preachers. There has to be a place, there have to be places where, where folks can look to to find encouragement and strength. The month of September, the 20th to the 23rd, we'll have our, our national conference. I, I can tell you as a pastor, it means a lot to go to a conference where there's a lot of other preachers and, 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 and go to a church that God is using to be encouraged and to be challenged, a place that'll take away your excuses. We live in a day-to-day, -day, hey, I hear them all the time. Preachers say, well, you can't do what you used to do. Folks won't listen anymore. Folks won't go to church anymore. I won't do this, won't do that. You know what? I'm not here to be a gauge on what the world will or can do. I'm here to tell you what God wants to do in our life. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we want to do what God would have us to do, not only so we can please him here and he can accomplish his will, but other churches say, if they can do it, if God can do it there, God can do it here. Do you know Goliath was not the only giant that was killed? 
but he was the first. And when they found out David killed the giant, they didn't have near as much fear and others were killed. You, you read your Bible and there must be a people that believe in him. But wait a minute, there must be a person in your home that says, I want to be a person of faith in God. I'm going to believe God for what he says. A person in your class, a, a people in our groups that would say, I'll be an example of what God wants me to be. I don't want Jesus to fail at Clay's Mill Baptist Church. I don't want Jesus to fail in our state. I understand what I'm saying. It bothers us a little bit because you say Jesus could never fail. And we sing the song, Jesus never fails. I understand that. But you also understand what I read in the Old Testament. They limited the Holy One of Israel. And in Mark chapter 6, the Bible says, and he could not do a mighty work there because of their unbelief. Let me give us some instruction in these last few short minutes. First of all, what is faith? What is faith that pleases God? Faith in God is expressed by our obedience to him every day. Not a few minutes on Sunday morning, but a yielding of our life to him. May I say this morning, just quickly, first of all, we ought to be daily readers of the word of God. Don't let the news be your guide or be your temperature gauge. Let the old book be your temperature gauge. Let the Bible tell you what's going on. Don't just look at this world. Look at the God that's on the throne that's in control of all things. Can I tell you, if all you see is the world, you'll be as David's brothers that talk about how big the giant is and how great and powerful the giant is. But if you spend time in the Word of God, you'll have the understanding and the vision of David that says, in the sight of God, Goliath's not very big. We must read the Word of God. We must read His Word every day. Whether you understand everything that you read or not, read the Word of God. It's good for us in our hearts and minds. It helps us to gauge and put life in perspective. Second of all, look for ways to please God in your life. The Word of God teaches me the heart of God. The Word of God teaches me the ways of God. The Word of God teaches me the desires of God. The Word of God teaches me the commandments of God. And as I read them and I understand God wants to do a mighty work in this place and in this church. God did not give us this piece of property to raise corn and soybeans. God didn't give us this property to look at. God gave us this place because he desires to do a mighty work. And I don't want to come to the place that I say, well, I'm thankful for what I have. I'll just sit right here and enjoy till I die. I don't want to limit the Holy One of Israel. I don't want to limit the Lord Jesus. I want him to succeed in all he desires to do. Here's how Solomon said it. Listen to these words. Solomon, the wisest man on earth because God gave him his wisdom, he said this at the closing of the book of Ecclesiastes. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment. With every secret thing. Whether it be good or whether it be evil. Paul said the same thing to the church at Corinth. Our works are going to be tried with fire. The wood, hay, and stubble is going to be burned up. It's going to be ashes. No good. But the precious metals, the precious stones, they're going to come out pure. He said, live your life pleasing to God. 
Here's how Micah said it. I love these summary verses that help me to put in a capsule, to help me to put in a statement what I can do to please God. Here's what he says, Micah 6 and verse number 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Every member of this church ought to be seeking God's will in their life. And they ought to be saying, Lord, I don't want to be one that limits you. Twelve spies came back from Canaan. Two said, let's go. Two said, God said, we can do it and we can do it. Ten said, no, we can't. We are but grasshoppers in their sight. You know what they did? They limited the work of God. I don't want to be counted in that ten. I want to be counted in the two. I don't want Jesus to fail. I want him to succeed. I want him to accomplish his will in our lives. Stand with me, if you will. If you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, oh, how he loves you and he wants to save you this morning. All that he did, his miracles, all that he did, he came, he bought one thing, our salvation. He wants to save you today. You've been saved and you've never followed the Lord and believer's baptism. You ought to do that today because baptism is a testimony publicly of your faith in Christ. You stand in the water. It's a picture of the death of Christ on the cross. When you go down into the water, it's a picture of being buried in death but be raised again in the newness of life, a new life in Christ, letting others know my faith is in Christ, is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's God's will for you to become a member of this church and you need to make that decision this morning. You ought to come. Make that decision. If you're here this morning and you're living a life of unbelief, you ought to find your place at this altar and say, Lord, I, I ask you to forgive me. I want to live by faith in the word of God. Heavenly Father, bless our invitation time. Not just in this moment of time, but as we go away from this place today and we wonder, God, what is it that you would want to do in my life what is it that you'd want to do in our family, in our church? And Lord, help us to have faith, never to be listed among the unbelievers or unbelief, but to be people of faith and show that by our actions and obedience. Bless our invitation time. I pray, Lord, for those that need to trust you as Savior. I pray, Lord, that they would step out of their seats and Come to the front letting one of these men know, I want to receive Christ. I want to know for sure I'm going to heaven when I die. Bless your invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.